Alrighty. Hey, if you didn't know that last phrase, it's a Latin phrase, which means to the glory of God alone. And so let me say, uh, give God the glory, but I want to give you the thanks. Thanks for making probably the most challenging year also be one of the most rewarding and certainly one of the most fruitful. So thank you so much for all that stuff as well as uh, thank you for last week. Uh, last week, uh, some um, I think it ended up being well over, especially when it came to who sponsored as well as who went out. Uh, you guys visited uh, 3,000 families uh, in Western North Carolina and were able to bless them. Thank you so much uh, for doing that. And some of you got to pray with folks. Some of you got to uh, uh, lead people to Christ. Others of you, you're like, what are you doing here? So whatever it is, what it is, 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 is fruitfulness is God's job. Uh, faithfulness is your job and way to be uh, faithful with that. And again, the year is not over yet. Um, we've got uh, Christmas Eve, and let me just say on the front end of the Christmas Eve, I know that there's a lot of the services have already, to care for the people the best, we've capped uh, all the services, we've looked at all the rooms, and I know some of them have already been capped. So if you're like, number one, you can check back during the week, see if seats open up for this Friday, or secondly, uh, there's still some campuses that have got some places open, so man, a great, great time to do that. Main thing is, don't show up to Christmas Eve by yourself, all right? Bring somebody with you, reach out to somebody, invite somebody. People are more open oftentimes at Christmas than they are any other time uh, as well. All right, so here, and by the way, thanks for all the folks at all the different services. Let me give you a special shout out. Watching, we got Gail, you're on the road to Georgia. So, eyes on the road, ears to, the, ears to whatever, however you're listening. Uh, we've, got, uh, we've got the Wines family from Florida. We've got Mary from Zanesfield, Ohio. Thank you very much for, uh, for tuning in. So whether you're on the road, whether you're in Florida, whether you're in Ohio, go ahead and turn to the last part of your Bible, right? This is kind of the last official message, if you will, of the year of the Bible. Again, there'll be an online service on the 26th. There's 14 Christmas Eve services. But as far as the journey we've been on, this is like the last official the last official message from what we've been in this year of the Bible. And one of the things we've seen is all the stories are talking about one story, right? It's got rules, but it's not about rules, all right? It's got characters, but it's really about one character. And the whole story, it's the story of God at work. The story of, you know what, God rescuing his people through the person and work of Jesus. That's what it's about. From the Old Testament, the book of Genesis, it goes forward, the fall of mankind and how we wanted to use the nation of Israel and how they failed. And then John the Baptist steps out and says, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Then it goes into the life and ministry of Jesus. And then there's a book called the book of Acts. It's like the first 30 years. It's the early history of the early church. And as the church is sprung into action there in Acts 2, the gospel goes all over the world. And then the apostles write some epistles, which are letters to local churches about not just how to believe the gospel, but about how to behave in the gospel. How does this actually flesh itself out in the way you work and the way you live and the way you play? And then as you get to the very end, there's a book that is amazingly uh, both a uh, intriguing and confusing at the same time, and it's called the book of Revelation. Revelation, it's not a lot of question about what it's about. We get confused about that because we think, oh, it's about 666, or it's about the dragon, or it's about the horseman, or whatever, and it's not about any of those things. Not the main focus is not. The, the very first verse says, this is the revelation of Jesus Christ, and the revelation means unveiling. It's the apocalypse. He's pulling the cover off. You know what? You used to see Jesus as a poor Galilean peasant, but now you're going to see him as Lord of Lords, King of Kings on the throne. And we talked about last week that the throne is the central focal point of all of heaven. All praise goes to the throne and all power comes from the throne. 
And so with that being said, we're going to wrap this up called uh, how this story, or this really this story continues. I'm always, almost was going to call it, you know what, this is the way the story ends, but actually it doesn't end this way at all. All right, it just continues. And one of the things that comes to mind in this book is I remember seeing an illustration a long time ago with a rope. And, and what it is, is picture this rope, and you got just play with me a little bit here on this one. You got a rope here, and you got just, you got a little bit that's red, and then you have got a ton that is this white rope. And so picture in your mind for just a second that this represents your life on earth, all right? This represents the 40, 50, 60, 80, 90, 100 years, however long you get on earth, that's what this red part represents. But the rest of it represents eternity. And the Bible actually teaches over and over again what we do in this red part. What we believe and how we behave determines everything about where we're going to spend eternity and how we are going to spend eternity. When we believe in Jesus, that determines the where, but even the where then, based on what you do with the gospel, determines how eternity is going to go. And the confusing part of that is we are all so prone to spend all of our time focused on this red area instead of like this whole long, long, long time that we're going to spend. Because over and over again, the Bible recognizes our temptation is to go like, well, I've got to make sure I got this right, and I got to make sure I got this right, and my retirement is good, and the kids are on time, and I got to, and we spend all the time on this red part when it says over and over and over again, be motivated by, be comforted through the fact that, you know what, eternity is a long time. Even the book of Revelation, we think it's about all those things. Really what Revelation is about, it's, it's written to a guy named John, and John's going through a difficult time. The church is flourishing but being persecuted. He's been stuck on an island called the island of Patmos. He used to be super close to Jesus. He was like on the inner circle. Now he hadn't seen Jesus in a number of years. And all of a sudden, God shows him four visions. Really shows him a vision, which is the book of Revelation, but it's broken down into four visions. And the final vision is about what it is at the end of the story. And what he says is basically the whole thing is, listen, fear not for tomorrow is one. Fear not, for tomorrow is one. In other words, you're gonna fight from the victory Jesus has gotten. You're not fighting for the victory anymore. And so going back to this analogy, what our temptation is, is to focus totally on these 60 years that we are gonna have. And what Revelation is really trying to say is, listen, understand, this life is to be lived in light of this part. And you can see it, you might have skipped over it in your Bible. We could go through like a hundred different verses. But just think about these and don't turn to them, just think about them. Jesus says in Matthew 5, 12, if you're undergoing a difficult time for Jesus, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets before you. The book of Hebrews chapter 11, talking about a guy named Abraham. Abraham is like a picture of faith and a picture of obedience. And he says, Abraham did what he did. Abraham lived how he lived. Abraham obeyed God. Why? Because he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Jesus says, when you think about heaven, think about being comforted over the fact that this is not all that there is. In John 14, he says, in my father's house are many rooms. And if that were not so, I would not have told you. There's many rooms and he starts off by saying, do not let your heart be troubled or agitated. You go a little bit further, the apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
He later on says in 1 Corinthians, oh, death, where is your victory? Where is your sting? He would then say, let your priorities reflect Christ. He says, listen, those that have been raised up with Christ, which is another word for Christian, set your minds on things above, not on things below. In other words, don't totally think about the red all the time. Set your minds on the whole white part here that is so much longer than those 60 years. Even Jesus said to the thief on the cross when he's like, hey, remember me, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he says, today you will be with me. And you remember the word he used? You'll be with me where? Paradise. And so what the scripture teaches and what the early Christians hang on to, we oftentimes ignore. And um, a lot of people say, well, it's, 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 it's difficult to think that. And here's the reason it's difficult to hang on. It's difficult because typically our idea of all of that white space right there is somewhere of a combination between the, car, the culture and cartoons mushed together. It's what we've seen in movies or what we've seen uh, in cartoons and what culture is typically said. And if that's all you saw, you wouldn't look forward to what we're talking about today at all. I mean, there's tons of examples. Let me give you one. That we, you'll see this movie probably over the next week, or some of you will. And here's the quote. And I, I, looked at the, I looked at the film clip again. Every time a bell rings, an angel gets its wings. Where's that from? It's a wonderful life, all right? Great movie, bad theology, okay? Not Bible at all. Great movie, not good, not good Bible. Other times people will like picture uh, heaven as an eternal choir practice. Chubby little babies sitting on a cloud playing an instrument. We don't even have a choir, okay? So that can't be heaven. You look at some other ones, and here's the number one reason that this is a struggle for us, and we won't say it in church, but bottom line, if you really deep down and you kind of go beneath the surface of why people are not preoccupied, why Colossians 3 setting our minds on heaven how come that is not actually taking place is bottom line, deep down, somewhere in there, we actually bought into the lie that heaven is gonna be boring. That heaven is gonna be like that line that you go into after Christmas and you gotta return a, a gift and you look and that line is like an eternity and it's not moving at all and it's like the last place you wanna be. And Christians were like, you know, it's better than hell, it's better than hell. But all I'm telling you is, listen, Satan has done a masterful PR job against heaven to make God's people of all people say, you know what? I mean, we've bought into the, what I would just call the Kenny Chesney theology, all right? I mean, I like Kenny Chesney, but I mean, the song that basically is like, everybody wants to go to heaven. Remember that one? You're like, I do not recognize that because I can't sing. But everybody wants to go to heaven. Everybody wants to go to heaven. And he goes through all this list, but then he ends up with this little line, but nobody wants to go there now. Meaning it's like, you know what? I wanna get all I can now. I wanna get my bucket list now. And then I'll, you know, heaven's better. You know, heaven's better than the other place, but, but let me live my life now. And what a contrast that is to the way that John concludes this book when he simply says, come Lord Jesus. After he got a glimpse of what the afterlife can be for the believer, he's like, man, come on now. I don't wanna wait any longer. So uh, here's what I'm gonna try to do is, uh, parts of this we've gone over uh, in years, years that passed. What I wanna try to do is whet your appetite just a little bit so that you're less Kenny Chesney and more John, all right? So it's more come Lord Jesus and less, you know, I don't wanna go there now. And um, you're gonna have to use kind of a sanctified imagination just a little bit, 
right? Um, like a child would do. You're like, well, I don't want to be like a child. Actually, the Bible says you and I are better when we're like children. Jesus never told a child, become like an adult. A lot of times he told adults, you become like a child. Now, not childish, not selfish, but childlike, trusting, using your sanctified spirit given imagination. Sometimes even when we talk about this, somebody will quote that verse. What about 1 Corinthians? It says, you know what? No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has imagined what God has created for those that love him. See, we can't understand it. Read the next verse. The very next verse says, but the spirit of God has revealed it to us. So are there some things that are confusing? Absolutely. Are there some things that are like, well, I'm not sure about that. Yeah, there is. But there's a ton of great stuff in here that you and I can say, man, I've come Lord Jesus now. That would be great if that happened. This is sort of like a, uh, this is like a travel brochure. Revelation 21 and 22 are a travel brochure of heaven. When you're about to take a trip, when you study about where you're going and what it's gonna be like and what sites you wanna look at and different things, it tends to make the trip go better. And that's kind of what Revelation 21 and 22 is. And so we're gonna look at the first about eight verses and I'm gonna to try to give you some different thoughts as we close this year out. And we started in January at the height of a pandemic and we talked about Genesis chapter one, that God stepped out on the front porch of heaven and spoke the world into being. And here we are, we're ending late December. We're ending with the God comes back and makes all things new. So let me, uh, we're gonna work through the passage. Look at the first couple of verses and then I'm gonna to skip to verse five and give you the first, I wanna give you four characteristics of heaven. And so here's the, here's the first one, but look at verse one, two, and then verse five. <laughs> then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. Listen, New Jerusalem is not heaven, it's a part of heaven. Think of it as the capital city of heaven, if you wanna think of it that way coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Then skip to verse five. And he who was seated on the throne, see it again? That's what you see all the way through the book. He who was seated on the throne, he who was seated on the throne says this, behold, I am making all things new. Probably my favorite verse in the book of Revelation. I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. All right, ready? Got four things down about heaven. Four things down about heaven. Number one, it is a perfected place. It is a perfected place. Now I'm gonna do, kind of underline some words in here. He says that I saw a new heaven and a new earth. A couple different ways that the language could actually say new. One of them is chronos, which is the idea of new in time. The other one is kainos, which is this one. That's the one he uses. It's not new in as much as in order, although it is, it's new in quality. It's like, I'm, that's why he says new or renewed. When you think about, uh, let's say, it's like, man, that's a brand new, refurbished, renewed 1969 Ford pickup, okay? You would expect, all right, it looks like a pickup, but it's like so, so, so much better. That's the picture that he's painting right here. It's not some new, it's not some ethereal, it's not some completely unlike where we are. I don't think I've ever read a commentary to you, but let me read you a paragraph of a word study because it might answer a lot of questions that you have. One linguist says this, he says, the, 
The word translated new indicates that the earth God creates won't be merely be new as opposed to old, but new in quality and superior in character. The lexicon says this word new means, quote, in the sense that what is old has become obsolete and should be replaced by what is new. In such a case, the new is, as a rule, superior in kind to the old. It means, therefore, quote, not the emergence of a cosmos totally other than the present one, but the creation of a universe which, though it has been gloriously renewed, stands in continuity with the present one. He says the same word is used in 2 Corinthians 5.17 when he talks about the believer becoming a new person. And he concludes by saying the new earth will be the same as the old one, just as a new Christian will be the same person as before, different, but the same as well. In other words, think about it this way. Think about like a caterpillar turning into a butterfly. I mean, is it the same kind of? It is, but it's like a butterfly is like so, so, so much better, so much more glorious. So look at the word passed away. You think, I mean, when it says the old has passed away, it's like he's saying, you think what you had was great? Check this out. You think what you had was awesome? Check this out. I mean, think about the most beautiful place you have ever, ever, ever been. I mean, we don't have to go that far here in Western North Carolina. I mean, we don't have to go that far. But think about the most beautiful place that you've ever, ever been. For some of you, it's like the other side of the world. For others of you, it's up on the parkway. But imagine what that place, ruined by sin, is once it's in the glorified state. Imagine what Rainbow Falls is. Imagine what a glorified Rainbow Falls looks like. He's like, amazing, that's amazing. Think about, think about, and some of you all think it's just, you're gonna already push back on this. The Bible says we're gonna eat in heaven. We're gonna eat in heaven. Some of you are like, amen. I mean, I, I mean, it's like, yes, we're gonna eat in heaven. So think about, what does a glorified filet mignon taste like? I mean, think about that for just a second. A glorified Chick-fil-A, think about, think about, think about what that tastes like. It's gotta be like amazing. The service and somehow, some way, be even better. All right, how about this? Some of you are like, uh, this will be amazing. Think about what a glorified body is going to be like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you know, when you're 20, you're like, you never, you don't even get hurt. And you're 30, you're like, I'm at my peak, and you're 40, and you're 50. I mean, I got to like take Advil just to like get out of bed. I get, I'm sore to get out of bed. I'm like, how do I get sore sleeping? I don't know, but it's like it happens now, and it's all of a sudden a glorified body. I'm actually, I'm just kind of reading, this is Bruce a little bit. I think in heaven, broccoli is gonna be fattening and Snickers are gonna be thinning. I mean, I think that's really the way, that's the way it's gonna work there. So it's a perfected place. You're like, how's that gonna work? I don't know, but it's, uh, it's pretty awesome, pretty awesome. And it, look at it, it gets even better. It says a holy city, New Jerusalem. And what's the analogy that John uses? He said, it's like a bride adorned for her husband. The word adorn there is where we get a word cosmetic from. You think about all the detail that a bride goes through to get ready to walk down that aisle. I mean, if the makeup is ever in place, it's that day. If the hair is ever perfect, it's that day. Hours and hours and hours are, there are industries now to get the bride ready to make sure when she walks down that aisle, it's like, that's like, that's, that's, that's the best I got, all right? That is the best I got. When I go down that aisle, that's why when she goes down the aisle, what happens? Everybody like, oh, everybody rises, looks at the bride. It's like amazing, look at her. She, look at her in her beauty. 
And what the picture is, is when the new capital comes down, it's like even God's people are like, look at that. Look at the intricacy, look at the beauty, look at the, look at the detail. And one of the, probably the coolest verses in here, and you're like, do, do you understand that? I don't understand it. But all, all I'm telling you is this, verse five, you might miss it in the English language. It's what is called the present tense. Now here's what that means. You see where it says in verse five, he says, behold, I am making all things new. That's in, that little phrase is in the present tense, which means literally, I am making all things new all the time continually. In other words, everything in heaven is new all the time. I mean, so again, go like a child again. Everything is new. You pass somebody in heaven. What was for dinner? Was it good? It's amazing. Well, what was it? I don't know, but it was new. It was new. We've never, ever, ever had it. You see somebody and you're like, hey, nice suit. Is it new? Of course it's new. Everything is new all the time. How's your job going? You're like, we didn't have jobs in heaven. A contraire. Yes, we do. All right. I'm just, yeah, we do have jobs. But it's not like, some of you are like, no, work was part of the curse. Actually, work is not part of the curse. It's not. Before the curse, God gave Adam and Eve a job. He gave them a job. It was fruitful. It was fulfilling. What the curse did is bring toil and sweat and disappointment to the job. You're like, I hate my job. I'll tell you what, in heaven, you're going to love your job. It's going to be fulfilling all your talent, your traits, your gifts. It's like, I love this. Every day is new. Every day is new. Um, Here's one, some of you all might or might like, might like this. Uh, in heaven, all the songs are new. They're just new. You're like, I love that song, sorry. There's a new one tomorrow. So everything is new in heaven. So it's a perfected place. It's, I mean, just go, go with that all afternoon. Have fun with your kids. Hey, what do you also think is new in heaven? It's perfected, it gets better. Look at verse three. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself is in the emphatic position and God himself will be with them as their God. So it's a perfected place. But verse three is it's a place with God's presence. It's a place where God is. No longer by faith, no longer through the person only of the Holy Spirit, no longer with a veil where you're like, you know, I wonder what God thinks. Now let this sit down a little bit. Some of your translations say God will tabernacle among them and that's the idea that you are going to see if you're a Christ follower, you're gonna see, G you're gonna see the face of Jesus. He is gonna look you in the eye he is gonna tell you, I am glad to see you, I love you, the battle is over, and the blessing has begun. Now you gotta get this, you gotta get this. If you're in Christ, if you're in Christ, this is what is ahead. You remember, the, you see all those homecoming videos when, where soldiers are coming back from a battle or Afghanistan or something like, they're coming back and then they, somebody's snapping that on their phone and you can see, or when these soldiers, maybe when they surprise their kids at their school because they got some leave. I love those videos. I love them. But, and you, you can watch like 100 of them. You never get tired of them. 
basically goes like this. The dad surprises Junior. Junior's playing basketball or he's in school. Dad shows up at the airport or at the school. Scooter's sitting there writing down and somebody gets his attention. He looks up and what happens? He sees his dad. And both, if you could just see the face of both dad and the kid, it's like, that is awesome. Because the dad is like, I'm so glad to see you. The kid is overwhelmed. And what does he do? Every time. He runs as fast as he can. He jumps in dad's arm and dad holds him and they weep and they cry and they kiss and it's just an amazing reunion. Loved one, that's the picture. That's what, that's what is encouraging John. There's gonna be a time where God himself is with us. And you can, that's when you can actually talk to him. Every now and then somebody like, well, when I get to heaven, I'm gonna tell God a few things. Well, you're probably not going to heaven, so don't worry about it. I would just simply say, if that's your attitude, I'm saying, if that's your attitude, you probably don't really understand lordship anyway, correct? All right, correct? All right, there's no strutting into heaven, so you can ask somebody else some other question. I'm telling you, but there is a time when you can ask God some questions that you just always wanted to ask your father, right? Don't you ask some questions for God? Man, I sure do. I mean, there's some of them are just questions about him. But think about some of the questions that would be awesome to ask about just him. It's like, hey man, Jesus, could you, what was it like? What was it like to be like a kid? What was it like? I mean, the Bible didn't have, but it's just a couple of chapters about you being a kid. And what was it like to have a bunch of sinful brothers and you were perfect? I mean, what was, what was that like? It's like, who broke the lamb? Yeah, I mean, everybody, everybody knew. What was that like? What was it like to, uh, what was it like to walk on water? I mean, you know, what was that like? I mean, that would that was that even cool for you? Even though you, I mean, that would be. And then you obviously got some serious questions as well. I mean, what was it like? What was it like when you hung on a cross and you said, "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" What was that like to take my sin, all my thoughts, all my actions, all the stuff I've said, and it got poured out on you, multiplied times all of human history? How is the, how did that? What was that even like? There's probably some things you just want to ask in general. There's some Bible questions. I mean, I've been doing this a long time, and so I've got, but I still got a lot of questions in the Bible even. Like, hey, how come you let kind of this happen this way? I'm not sure I would have done it that way. I probably won't say that part, but I would just, I'm thinking that so he knows anyway, right? Um, even some stuff about history, correct? And there's some stuff about history. It's like, hey, why did you let this guy come to power? How come you let this happen? Why didn't you just like take care of that in a different way? I bet you anything, you have got some questions that you want to ask about you, right? About your life, about your 30 years, about your 40 years, about why you let God, or why God let certain things happen. I mean, God, this really hurt. And everybody said, well, you'll see pretty soon what that was about. And you know what? I lived to 76, and I never saw why in the world you let that happen. That's It's amazing. He says, you can, you can actually talk to him. He's with us. I mean, all the streets of gold, that stuff is awesome. Crystal wall. I mean, all that stuff is awesome. But every indication is when, when John's getting a picture of this, he's like, I'm, I'm not really that concerned about that. I'm concerned about talking to Jesus and other stuff. He's like, hey, will we know each other in heaven? That's a great question. Will we know each other in heaven? I mean, will I know grandma? She passed away. She knew Jesus. Will I know grandma in heaven? If grandma knew Jesus, the answer to that question is absolutely yes. Like, how can you say that? I heard another preacher say no. Well, he's wrong, but here's the reason, here's the reason, here's what I would say. 
mean, think, think about what the Bible teaches. Again, no matter what I say, doesn't matter what some other preacher said, what's the Bible say? Or if it doesn't come right out and say it, what does it at least give every indication for? Let me give you some examples. I mean, Mary recognized Jesus on resurrection morning. All right, Jesus is called the first fruits of the resurrection. In other words, this is kind of what resurrection is gonna be like. Mary obviously recognized, she recognized Jesus. If you go back a few chapters, Revelation chapter seven, the multitude John saw in heaven included people from every tribe and every nationality on earth. Which by the way, seems to show that we somehow retain our racial and ethnic identity as well as our personal identity even in heaven. How about this? Uh, there's a place in the Bible called the Mount of Transfiguration where Peter, James, and John, they go up on this mountain and they get to see Moses and Elijah, although it's separated by 1,500 years, somehow they recognize who Moses is and who Elijah is. And there's no indication that Moses and Elijah had a name tag. There's no indication that Jesus said, hey, you know, Moses and Elijah, none of that. So somehow they recognize them there. And uh, here's kind of what I think some of you are probably thinking even right now. Depending on your age, I can tell you at least for me, when I was a teenager, kid for sure, teenager and even into the 20s, I honestly, when you mentioned heaven, I kind of thought cold. I thought cold. I mean, you know, streets of gold and all this kind of stuff. It just seemed really, really cold. But the older you get, and the more people that you know and that you love die in the Lord, the warmer heaven seems to become in your mind. You know why? Because it's no longer just about streets of gold and walls and all. It's about, you know what? I get to see Jesus and I get to see my loved ones. And so it is a place where God's presence is. And it, again, it gets, even, it gets even better. Verse four, he will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. And praise God for that. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. Why? Because the former things, they passed away. They're gone. They're gone. So it's a painless place. Painless place. There's no pain. I mean, he goes out of his way to show that all the pain, it's like almost hitting every single aspect of pain in your life. He says, there's no more tears. What are tears? Tears are symbolic of the pain you've had in your life. Whether anybody else saw your tears or not, that's symbolic of pain. A lot of times I'll quote to you Psalm 58, verse six, that says, God hides your tears in a bottle. And every once in a while, somebody would, you know, that's, that's a picture. God don't have a bottle. Listen, God has a bottle. <laughs> I think God has a bottle, all right? God said he has a bottle. He's got a bottle and my tears are in there, Okay. That's a very comforting thing. You know what? Not one tear that I've ever shed is all of a sudden just gone. Every single one. God hides your tears in a bottle. And then he says this. He says, uh, he says there's no more death. There's no more death. No more funerals. All right? uh, no more hospitals. All right? A couple of people will be out of work in heaven. Doctors. Because uh, the, there's, there's no sickness in heaven and there's no preaching in heaven. But there's no preaching. There's, no, there's nobody getting one to Christ in heaven. So there's no evangelist in heaven and there's no doctors in heaven. I don't know what they'll do, but they're not going to be a doctor. They're not going to be an evangelist. But everybody else, you got a job. They're out of work. So, uh, but it says no more, no more tears, no more death, no more mourning, no more funerals, no more ambulances, no more 
If you see tears in heaven, they're tears of joy. You see somebody crying in heaven, it's like, what's wrong? You're new here, aren't you, all right? I'm not crying because something's wrong. It's awesome here. And just think about all the pain. I mean, obviously physical pain, obviously circumstantial pain, but it would include relational pain as well. All the anger, all the bitterness, all the stuff people did that you can't quite get over. Your father is going to pick you up and help you process and work through that so that you'll be completely whole. That's amazing to me. He says, again, there's no more death. Here's what uh, came to mind is, because uh, he's telling John this, and think about it, John has seen all of his friends die. And he's like, John, there's no more death here. There's no more death here. And what came to mind is Cinderella, okay? Cinderella. I mean, what is Cinderella? I mean, Cinderella goes to the ball, meets her prince. It's totally different. She's got a wicked stepmom, wicked stepsisters. But what happens? She has to go back to her difficult life, but it's different now. She's still scrubbing floors. She's still mopping, but she understands my prince is not going to forget me. My prince is coming back for me one day. And as a believer, you have to understand that right now, you got a wicked stepmom, all right? His name is the devil, all right? You got a wicked stepsisters. That's your flesh. That's the world trying to bring you down. But you have to understand your prince has not forgotten you. And he will come back and all this pain and all this mourning and all those tears, there's gonna be a day when it's like none of that even existed anymore. You can't even look back and go, it makes me sad to think how sad I was. Some way, some way, you're just gonna get rid of it. Somebody said, your worst day in heaven is better than your best day here. And I love that. Your worst day in heaven is better than your best day on earth. And see, what this is really saying is the gospel, we always are going over and over. The gospel is that Jesus removes the penalty of our sin, right? That's the verse, you know, we are justified, we are justified by Jesus so we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Justified, justified is that legal determination by an almighty God that I, if you will repent and believe in him, all of your sin, all of your wickedness, all of that gets put on Jesus, so if you said what you did on that cross counted for me and you've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ, not only is your penalty for your sin gone away, but he's saying one day the pain of it's gonna be gone as well. One day the pain that all of our choices, all, all of that stuff, it's just gone. Somebody said the same hands that were pierced for you will wipe away every tear from your eyes. I love that. All right, so I got one more. one more. You got get that perfected place, like new heaven, new earth, everything's new. Amazing. You got a place where God's presence is. You got a place where, you know what? I don't have any more pain, all right? No more pain, no more physical pain, relational pain, no pain at all. Look at verse six and seven. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, alpha, uh, Alpha and omega is like the first letter and the last letter of the Greek alphabet, all right? It's like alpha, beta, gamma, delta, epsilon, zeta, eta, theta, kappa, lambda, mu, nu, xi, omicron, pi. Woo, four, four years of seminary for that, all right? So you had to know it. Alpha, alpha is the first letter. Omega is the last letter. He's saying, you know what? I'm the God of Genesis one. 
I'm the God of Revelation 22. I'm the God all the way in between. He says, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. And here's where it gets awesome. To the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Listen, you gotta use sanctified imagination, spirit-filled imagination, Bible-educated imagination. In the Bible, thirst is not just that you need water. Thirst is soul dissatisfaction. Remember the woman at the well? It's like, you know what? You're gonna drink this water and you'll never thirst again. And so he's like, you know what? I will give to the one that has thirst. And what does he say? He says, the water of life without payment. The one who conquers, they will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. So this is sort of the one that's like overall and it's just a place of abundant pleasure. Now don't freak out at the word pleasure. Don't freak out at the word pleasure because I'll explain that in a second. But the picture here is again, Thirst is like, my heart longs for something. And that's what, that's what Jesus does here on this earth. You're like, I gotta have that in a husband or a girlfriend or a house or something. And he's like, listen, that's uh, what, my fr- you know, what our friend Joby says. He's like, that's the cul-de-sac of stupidity, thinking going around and around, getting this new stuff is gonna satisfy, quench that thirst. But he says, I'll give to that person water, he says, without payment. And so uh, water is a picture of abundance. I I love uh, Hosea 6.3 that says, and God will come to us like the spring rains watering the earth. God will come to us. How's he gonna come? He's gonna come like those spring rains watering the earth. He's gonna come flooding in. And so what does this look like? It means in heaven with pleasure, you won't want wrong stuff. Wow, because we see right now what happens? What is temptation? Temptation is, here's an offer, but I'm gonna cover the consequences and I'm gonna cover how this ultimately just is, makes you a little happy, but it doesn't give you joy. But in heaven, you don't want wrong stuff. You see it for what it is. So here's a couple of thoughts. In heaven, we're gonna have everything we can righteously desire. If it's wrong, we won't want it. If it's right, we will have it in abundance. Heaven will not lack one thing that will increase your happiness. I know that brings up a ton of questions. And I would just say, before you're like, well, we're not gonna have this in heaven and we're not gonna have that in heaven. All right, just chapter and verse it. There's some things the Bible doesn't say. I know people are like, oh, you know, are are my pet gonna be in heaven? You know what? I used to say, no, they don't have souls. But you look in the Bible and they do have animals in heaven. I don't know if Fluffy's gonna be there, but there are animals in heaven. And if you don't have Fluffy there, you're not even gonna remember who Fluffy is because everything you need for ultimate pleasure and happiness is there. Everything you can righteously ask for. You can just have fun with this. What would you like in heaven? You know, people like, there's not gonna be any coffee in heaven because it's addicting. Really? I'm just thinking, who made the coffee bean? It's gonna be good stuff too. It's not gonna be the cheap stuff. It's gonna be the, not like you get at the coffee counter here for free. I'm talking about the, the good stuff, right? Single origin, all this stuff that all my young staff is like, it's a single origin made from the Madagascar plant, whatever. I don't know, but it's like awesome. It's awesome. Not one thing. But here's the, here's the part you, you can't miss. You cannot miss. With this text, it's so fun. It's fun to look at, but what it's sandwiched between 
which is the end of chapter 20, and then the next verse, verse 8, is he's making clear that not everybody's going to heaven. That not everybody goes to heaven. And so for you, you've got to ask, am I going to heaven? Am I going to heaven? The biggest fear that I have as a pastor of this church is that you would sit here and you would know the Bible and you would read about heaven and you would laugh at the jokes and you would know how to find books in the Bible and you would know all that stuff. And yet what's scary is when you look at people in the New Testament, the ones that were like right next to Jesus, sometimes like three feet from Jesus, that knew all the stuff and knew all the prophecies and knew all the pictures and they're three feet from Jesus and they didn't know him. And they knew all about him, but they didn't know him. Do you know him? I mean, as you sit here, your Christmas, you're like, hey, this has been a fun, are you going to heaven? Like, I'm not sure. I've been going to church here a while. Man, I kind of help out in some areas. There's a place in the Bible where Jesus is concluding his longest sermon and these religious people, some of them had done some awesome ministry. I mean, they'd like uh, cast out demons and they'd like done all this ministry. You'd think if anybody's going to heaven, that's like A plus Christianity. I don't know about, I'd never cast out a demon. These guys are like, they're casting out demons. And he's like, depart from me, I never knew you. It's a loved one, please make sure you're going to heaven. It's not based on, okay, I'm gonna just be a really good person this Christmas. It's not making sure nobody goes to jail over the holidays. The idea is to make sure, have you turned from your sin and have you embraced Jesus in repentance and faith? One of the biggest things in the South, one of the biggest things in the South is belief without repentance. And belief without repentance is not biblical belief. Repentance, is the, repentance and belief are two sides of the same coin. And so if you're sitting there like, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but there's never been a turning. It's like, I'm turning away from trying to make my life work and I'm embracing Jesus and therefore, there was a change. He changed you from the inside, but people noticed from the outside, then brother, you ain't going to heaven. If you don't have a story, then more than likely there is no story. I'm not saying that you gotta know the date. I'm not saying you gotta go September to whatever. I'm saying you gotta have a time where there was a time when the grace of God hit you like a Mack truck and you got changed. You looked at people different. You looked at your stuff different. You loved better. All those things, it's not because you tried to get your act together or got religious. You understand that your sin got put on Jesus 2,000 years ago. And if you will turn from your sin and embrace him and said, that counted for me somehow, some way, and I want you to be, and you surrendered, you waved the white flag for the lordship of Jesus. The Bible says you and I are saved by grace through faith, not as a result of works, so that none of us can brag, none of us can boast question you got to ask is, has that happened? And don't roll the dice on this. Please don't roll the dice. Well, I think, you know, I think I got about a 70, 30 chance of getting in. Don't do that. If you don't know for sure, you know what? I've repented and I believed in Jesus and I've surrendered to the Lordship of Christ. The man, nail that down today. Nail it down today. Matter of fact, once you bow your heads and close your eyes, whatever campus you're at, just bow your heads and close your eyes. And there's not some all prayer is, prayer is a cry out to God. That's what prayer is. Prayer is you putting the words back up to God, the intent of your heart. Bible says, believe in your heart. Christ has been raised from the dead. You will be saved. And so what, uh, what I'm asking you to do is, has there been a time when you surrender to the Lordship of Jesus? 
not just to get a ticket out of hell, but where you said, Jesus is Lord of my life. Save me where I am. Make me the person you want me to be. You might be 70, you might be 10. Right where you are with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're not sure, if you're not sure, if you get up to heaven, it's like, yeah, you actually did that when you were like 12. That's not gonna be nearly as big a deal as like, you know, depart from me, I never knew you. So if you're not sure or you're sure that you haven't actually given your life to Christ, whether again, whether you're at Franklin or whether you're at Arden, Brevard, wherever you are, your head bowed and your eyes closed in your own words, from your heart to God's heart, tell him something like, dear God, I've rebelled against you. I've rebelled, I've sinned, just tell him that. And then tell him, I believe that Jesus died in my place. Not just for me, but instead of me. And I turn to Jesus and Jesus alone. Save me, make me the person you want me to be. It's bowed and eyes closed. Whatever campus you're on, whether it be here or somewhere else, only if you prayed that prayer and you meant that prayer, whether you're online, if that's the case, just look up at me for a second. Only if you prayed that prayer, just look up at me for a second. Please do this one thing. Please make sure we know that commitment, that decision you just made. The best way, the easiest way is to make sure whoever you came with or tell a pastor in the lobby or if you're online, put it in the comments below. Just say, I gave my life to Christ. Tonight. We wanna make sure we follow. This is not just, again, a ticket to heaven. This is actually a relationship with a God who made you. You can also just text the word follow, 28282. That'll get us and we'll get back with you. It'll take a little bit longer, but we'll get back with you real soon. If you don't have a Bible, we'd love to get a Bible. Start reading in the book of John. That'd be the best place. Just start reading it and we'll help you along the way. Father, our prayer is that the people that uh, repented and embraced Jesus today, that you would just get them off to a phenomenal start as we head into the Christmas season. God, put some people around them, some sons and daughters of Almighty God. Put them around them to encourage and exhort and to teach and disciple. God, I pray you give them assurance based on the word of God, 1 John chapter 5. God, John had earlier simply said, you know what? He who believes in the Son has eternal life. He who does not believe in the Son of God does not have eternal life. And those that have believed in the Son of God, give them assurance today based on the word of the word of God. God, we already pray that as those of us that are followers that this Christmas season would not go by without us having a heart for people that don't know Jesus. We'd be inviting them to Christmas Eve whether it be reaching out and doing ministry. Thank you for the relationships that got made last Sunday all over the 828 and pray you would just continue to bring those more and more and more to fruition. We love you. We pray for Friday that your hand would be on that in just a, just a stupendous way. God, help us to be more like John, less like Kenny, more like John. Come, Lord Jesus, come. We pray it in his name. Amen.